Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, a part of the amazing FBA family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Today's episode is sponsored by the new e-commerce podcast, The E-Commerce Leader, co-hosted by myself, Michael Vizi, and Jason Miles, top 1% Shopify store owner and Unimi's highest rated e-commerce instructor. If you're the owner of a thriving e-commerce business, look for The E-Commerce Leader on your favorite podcast app and subscribe today. Ladles and jelly spoons, boys and girls, welcome back to the 10K Collective Podcast, the place for six, seven and eight figure Amazon sellers. Today got something quite different and I think very, very interesting. We've got Sean DeClerc of kickfurther.com. Kickfurther is the only inventory crowdfunding platform in the world. So that's quite a specific use of cash and and, uh, opportunity for business owners as well. So Sean, first of all, warm welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's really great to be here. Thanks for coming on. Uh, And where are you coming to us uh, from today? So we have, Kickfurther has two offices in Buffalo, New York and Boulder, Colorado. I am currently working out of snowy New Jersey. Excellent. Yeah, it's a little bit on the snowy side in uh, the UK and, and Europe's had a crazy time for snow at the time of recording, sort of uh, late February, early February, I should say. So uh, we've had snow in Madrid, which is kind of crazy. So <laughs> yeah, snow all around. <laughs> so we're firmly in the world of e-commerce though. So we, we're away from all the physical stuff at the moment, I guess, apart from inventory moving around. And okay. talking of inventory, cr- uh, funding inventory. So the first thing I've got to ask then, uh, you're based in the US, is what you're offering uh, for US businesses or can the rest of us in the rest of the world get a crack at this? So currently, Kickfurther is limited to US businesses and business owners, but you know we have global aspirations. So give us a couple of years and we'll be over there in the UK. Excellent. So this is then one for the, the US business owners. So tell us about the problem you're there to solve. What is the problem with funding inventory in a nutshell? Yeah, I mean, this won't be any uh, surprise to your audience, right? But pretty much everybody that sells physical goods deals with the same inventory financing pinch, which is you have to pay your manufacturer or your factory to make your stuff before you get it and you can start selling it and earning revenue from it. So what we have created is a platform where we've got a whole crowd of users and they will pay your factory to make the stuff. They own it. And then as the business sells through the inventory or as the inventory sells through, those people get paid back a uh, portion of the proceeds. So it's a pretty simple... um... And very, very highly needed thing. And I've got to say, having done recently, as well as speaking to the members of the 10K Collective Mastermind that I run, who are some sort of um, mid six to mid seven figure sellers, but also having done a sort of mini survey on Facebooks, about 60 people responded. And I asked pretty much what are the top three problems you got? I think funding, people call it cash flow, but actually I would say funding was right up there amongst all the problems. And the other side of it is stock management. And I would argue that's probably also a funding symptom because if you're only buying three months worth of stock and then you go out of stock for three months, because obviously the world's freight is under so much pressure right now that the the freight sort of network, I think a lot of it just boils down to funding, honestly. So I would just underscore from what I've seen, what you do is is deal with like like the number one blocks growth, not even the number two. Um, Yeah, I agree 100%. And there's other things that unlock with additional access to funding, like quantity discounts gives you the ability to open up new wholesale channels, you know, to get more distribution partners. So I think uh, lack of access to capital is absolutely one of the greatest constraints to growth. And cash flow is literally just another name for funding, like you said, right? Like, if you've got a big PO, you know, you're going to get paid on it, but you need to pay somebody in order to deliver on that PO, 
yeah, that's that's a funding problem, you know. Absolutely, yeah. It's interesting that you, that's another way of putting it. And I've been coming more and more around to that, and because I'm looking to to you know create some new training, new courses, masterminds, sort of that focus on particular things. I've been kind of wrestling with it and like am i kidding myself was it all come down to funding and a lot of it comes down to funding it's crazy yeah. and as you said higher you know higher discounts and on all the other good things and even the cash flow deals talking of cash flow i i think tell me your thoughts on this I, i've seen that if you put in big enough orders the suppliers actually care about the size of the orders they don't care about the cash flow that much the ones in china anyway and they'll do crazy deals like you pay them the deposit once you've actually had the manufacturing done and then you pay the balance once it's landed in the u.s have you seeing that sort of dynamic as well yeah i mean we've been able to do crazy stuff i mean one one part of it is order volume so if you are a business that's saying hey i'm going to place a million dollar order that seems a lot more credible than a business that says hey i'm going to place a ten thousand dollar order right like that makes a lot of sense from their perspective and you're able to negotiate a lot of stuff bring the deposit down to 10 percent instead of a 30 percent deposit or uh payment upon bill of lading transfer when the inventory lands at whatever the destination is. So yeah, suppliers will absolutely extend more for, for clients that they think are safer. And if you also can guarantee the funding, I mean, nobody does letter of credit anymore, but if you're able to say, hey, look, this funding is here with my partner, we're fully funded. And it's just a question of when you get paid, right? The cash is ready to go. I think that also provides some leverage. Yeah, that makes sense. And I guess what the, the safety, I guess I always think in terms of this sort of upside potential for them, I suppose. And and that I suppose that it, they have been to this party before and a very small business is quite like to default on their debt preferably when they bought all the raw materials and paid their workers as well. So yeah, I guess that if you could show, yeah, fully funded. So what you, you, the phrase fully funded is, is often used in kind of investment circles and a sort of VC backed startups and stuff. What, how would you translate that for your average e-commerce business owner? What does that word mean for you, fully funded? Oh, sure. I mean, so the way I think about fully funded is you've got a purchase order with a factory. Hey, I need to produce uh, 10,000 units at 20 bucks a unit, right? I need $200,000. Fully funded means you've got $200,000. So you can pay the deposit, you can pay the balance. The whole order is funded. So you got the money in the bank waiting to transfer to them, basically. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's the way we think about it for inventory purchases, you know? Yeah. Okay. Great. Well, this is really good. So obviously, having dug into just how powerful it is and how bad it is to go out of stock and because of underfunding. Okay, so we, we've right. banged people over the head with the problem. So what are the solutions? I mean, one of the classic ones, I guess, is selling bits of your business, isn't it? So tell, tell us the classic solutions and your view. Yeah, on them. sure. So so we can start. I mean, there's dilutive funding, which is, you know, the classic VC route or, you know, if you go to accelerators, 500 startups, whatever. So dilutive funding where, yeah, you sell a chunk of your business to some investor, they give you a chunk of cash. And then hopefully that is enough to fuel your growth for some period of time. Typically, I don't think dilutive funding is great for inventory because your goal as a business owner is that you're going to continue to scale up. And so if you rely on dilutive funding to fund your inventory and you continue to scale up, you just keep getting diluted more and more and more and more. So then that kind of opens up the question of, all right, well, then what are the non-dilutive options, right? Where you retain ownership of your business and your brand. And there's a lot of players on the marketplace. So many of them are now termed and deemed as daily debit providers, which are people that look at your sales. They purchase your revenue at a discounted rate. And then any dollar that comes through the door, they take some share of it. You know, that would be probably the the big names would be like Amazon Capital. ClearBank is very well known. Previously on Deck and Cabbage, though they're no longer 
as big as they used to be. And then you've also got non-dilutive funding in the form of AR factoring. So there's tons of AR factors, which if you've got a purchase order, like you sold a big chunk of goods to a major retailer and they owe you uh, the payment in 60 days, you can get that payment early by selling that receivable at a discount to what they call these account receivable factors. The biggest digital AR factor I know of is Bluevine though there are others and there are lots of traditional AR factoring shops as well. So the nice thing about factoring is that's largely a big part of it is based on the credit worthiness of the person who owes you the money. So even if you're a small business, if you just sold a bunch of inventory to a very large established retailer, you can still normally get AR during funding for your business. And you know that just works as a discount against what the PO is. So you get paid 200 grand in two months, they'll give you $180,000 today, right? To run your business and to do whatever else you need to do. So that's a very important point. So the credit worthiness in that situation is is really assessed on the the buyer that you or the, what would you call it? The end buyer. I'm not even sure what the, the words are, but the, the in this case, the big box retailer, sorry, give my ignorance yeah. because obviously credit and funding. It's like stuff the is payer, right? Like the the payer. whoever, whoever the accounts receivable is against. So the payer of the account receivable is whose credit gets evaluated by these AR factors, yeah. at least one of the elements. So most of yeah. them will still have some elements that will look at the business, right? Because they don't want to deal with fraud or whatever else. But yeah. but one of the elements they definitely consider is who's on the other end and who's expected to pay. Yeah. Okay. Yes, that makes sense. And the pay as well. Yeah. Okay. Got you. So now there's another phrase. I've got this on my notes here and I'm glad I'm asking it in the one sense because like I don't have any idea what it means, but what is discounted purchase of future revenue? Because I know that is a funding option. I believe <laughs> I've even had somebody on the show to talk it through and I think they didn't ever use those words, but now I think about it, it's probably what they were. So tell us what that option is. Yeah, so a discounted purchase of future revenue is uh, essentially, hey, we think your business has been on track in the last six months, you've earned $100,000. We believe that you'll earn $100,000 at some point in the future with your business. So we will buy $100,000 of your future revenue for $80,000 of cash today, right? And so that's like a very typical kind of deal. So it's almost like AR factoring, but where you don't have a receivable, you just have this expectation of future revenue that will come in and it's purchased at a discount on the front end. Okay. Yeah, I get it. So basically we'll, we'll give you 80 now and we want a hundred later. Exactly. It lend you. Yeah, not give. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. And, and the hundred is paid off over a, a period of time, I guess, traditionally. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, it's actually cleverly structured as we will buy a hundred thousand dollars of your future revenue for $80,000 cash today. So they're purchasing your future revenue at a discount. So the, by the way, folks, as ever, show notes at 10kcollective.com. You may want to get your head around the numbers by reading it over if you're like me. So we'll buy 100K of your future revenue for 80K cash now. Okay, interesting. And the, the fascinating thing about people in your world, and you're clearly so fluent in all this stuff, is that the, the way you perceive money is it comes in different kind of flavors. And for me, money is just money is money. I get the difference between stock and cash because I can't spend cash uh, to pay the electricity bill. But, I, you know, stock is what you give the, the end user. But what's interesting is uh, a receivable versus future revenue versus cash are distinct things for you, which is, I guess, something we've got to get our heads around. So now another basic question, which forgive me, is for you probably such a dumb question, but can you really dig into what is the difference between equity and debt here? Because you've talked about dilutive versus non-dilutive. 
Can you sort of dig into from the e-commerce business owner's perspective specifically? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, if you're looking, if you're an e-commerce business, I think there's some that have aspirations of selling their business to a larger brand, right? You're making a shoe company and one day you hope that Nike will buy you as a sub-brand for the Nike corporation, right? And so what equity means is when you get to that eventual sale of your business to some third party, and there's, and let's be clear, there are really big entities and it's becoming a really hot sector to buy e-commerce businesses. You've got Thrasio in America, you've got Perch, you've got new and many new players coming in buying e-commerce businesses. Okay. So in that point, at the future point, when you sell your business and what you're actually selling is the ownership of the business that you've created, if you've sold equity along the way, you give up portions of that future sale price. Okay. So if you own hundred percent of your business, and you've taken no dilutive financing, so you haven't gotten diluted at all, and then you end up selling your business for a million dollars, great, you get a million dollars, right? If on the other hand, you've had to take dilutive financing all the way down the way, let's say, you know, 100K here, 200K there, and then you end up selling your business for a million bucks, but you only own 50% of it because other people have come in and they've purchased portions of your business from you for cash, you only get $500,000, right? That, that math works out. Yes, that does make sense. Yeah. Okay, good. I mean, so it's pretty obvious, but I think it's just really worth thinking through because for a lot of us, it's not something that is a daily or even annual sort of thing to think about, particularly if you've only sort of stayed sub million dollars revenue. People can go to that within three, four years of self-funded and then they get to the point where they really is the biggest block and they realize it's the Mm -hmm. biggest block and then they start hopefully listening to someone like yourself. So, so the, the debt, I guess we talked about, I mean, I guess the next obvious question is how does a business owner choose between debt versus equity as, as ways of funding, specifically, I guess, inventory. And that is probably the biggest need anyway, right? So it comes to the same thing. Yeah. How do you fund the business? You know, what we typically see, if I'm, if I'm being perfectly candid, is that most businesses take what they can get, like, especially for e-commerce businesses that have been growing relatively rapidly, they need funding and they will take what they know about, right? So if they come from a VC background and all of their friends know venture capitalists, they're very likely to take dilutive funding. If they don't know what they need, you know, but and then Amazon comes along and says, hey, would you like a hundred grand of capital? They're probably very likely to say, yeah, great, Amazon, give me a hundred thousand dollars, right? So what we typically see is that people don't like dealing with this problem. They don't like planning about it. They just, you know, kind of, they hit this wall of I need funding. And then they take the option that will get them back to growing their business in the shortest amount of time uh, possible. Right. And I think that that leads to some situations where there are some very, very easy options out there on the market that are also quite expensive. And if you do the math and you spend a little bit of time to kind of crunch the numbers, you can see that you know, that's really what it comes down to as a math equation. How much do you expect to sell your business for, right? How much equity are you willing to give up now? What percentage of that future sale price are you willing to give up today? And how does that compare, right? That kind of dilution hit, how does that compare with paying 10 or 15% on, you know, $100,000 of funding today or something like that, you know? Yeah, I got you. And I think if nothing else, this, this conversation needs to be part of people's overall thinking, and as you say, people don't like to do it, therefore they don't plan it and they kind of hit a wall. 
they grab a solution and look it's not easy to get funding and, and particularly sadly for us in the uk many businesses in the uk that i work with closely do not have the option at the moment of, of using kickfurther.com sadly but it, it is never going to be an easy thing anyway and I, I don't really blame anyone for that but i think what we can do is educate people and someone like yourself is a wonderful resource for that such that we realize there are many options that we can evaluate the pros and cons a bit and then make a mindful choice even if we do the same thing as we were going to do before, at least we know what the implications are. And I think there's a difference, right? right. As opposed to sort of feeling slightly out of control and maybe you're being taken advantage of, but you don't even know. It's ne never a comfortable thing. So right. a related question is then, when should you not fund inventory via debt? Because obviously that's what you guys are all about, but there must be some cases hmm. where you say, don't do this. Well, so I'll just, let me clarify one thing real fast there is uh, we are not funding inventory by debt. So what happens okay. on Kickfurther, we actually have a pretty unique mechanism within the market, as far as I know, where we have a crowd of users who will purchase the inventory from your supplier, right? They'll pay your supplier for whatever needs to be paid to get the inventory produced and shipped to you. And that inventory is actually owned by our users. And then it's placed on consignment. So as the inventory is sold, it triggers the underlying consignment agreement and you pay back some agreed upon consignment profit. So let's say we funded the inventory inventory at a dollar, you might pay back a dollar and 10 cents per piece of inventory that is sold, right? And so on Kickfurther, you're not taking on debt. It's not a liability. It's actually matters because it doesn't go on your balance sheet, right? You're, you're, for, for people that care about that, it's not a debt on your balance sheet. You are selling consigned inventory that's been entrusted to you. And in terms of why you might not want to take inventory funding, I mean, if growth is flat and you've got, you know, a uh, decent margin and you're able to fund the inventory yourself, then, then why would you pay more for something that you don't need, right? Like don't take inventory funding if you don't anticipate that you're going to need additional inventory, right? Why would you pay for money you don't need? That would be pretty silly, I think, um, yeah. though I can't imagine many of your listeners would do that. No, I, I can't see that either. But no, I mean, okay, when not to do any of this stuff? Yeah, when you don't need it, for sure. But I, I thank yeah. you very, very much for clarifying your model, because that's really quite different. And it's very, very important that we get that. I and mean, I would say the fact that it doesn't go on your balance sheet is huge, because if at some point you and I'm look, I'm not a bank lending expert clearly nor do i play one on the internet but having spoken to another people on the lendee side so the e-commerce owners who've had those conversations with the banks and have spoken to people who do use uh, debt as a vehicle and they offer it to people uh, it's ironically the last time you can get the the least likely time you're going to get a loan is when you really need it because your your balance sheet looks awful so i guess keeping your balance sheet kind of clean is a really powerful thing in order to then, if you do need some kind of debt funding, you know, be more more lendable, right? So that that's really right. powerful. And then, of course, a consignment agreement, I think, is a beautiful thing because it means you've shifted some of the risk. And, of course, you've got to pay people for taking on some of the risk. But the risk, the biggest two risks, for I would say, for any e-commerce seller period, particularly on Amazon, where things move so fast, is either you're going to go out of stock because you're underfunded or you've got right. a crap load of stock you can't move. So I, right. I guess getting those you know dealt with is, is the number one thing. Yeah. Any further thoughts in response to that? Yeah, I mean, I think, look, when you look at, just to touch on your other question, like when shouldn't you get funding? I mean, if you can, if you're growing and you need funding, I think it's very, very punishing to not have the funding you need to grow, right? Like, and, and I think the stats hold that up where 
Last I checked, it's something like 87% of people, if they hit a stock out, go and buy a replacement product, right? They don't wait for a backordered item to come back in so that they can purchase from the same brand. And if you lose that one customer that time, right, you don't, you, you don't get them on your email list. You don't get to continue to upsell to them or sell new products to them, right? So the cost of stocking out is much, much higher than the cost of taking funding based on my understanding of the businesses we work with. That makes absolute sense to me. And yeah, if your profit margins are so bad that you cannot take uh, a funding at 10% or something over whatever it is, six months, then you really shouldn't right. be trying to sell the products at all, in my opinion, because it's taking money up. Capital is right. being used up and, and, and held to ransom by a product that is not returning it very quickly to you whereas you could probably if you looked at your, the rest of your stock find that actually you really really need that money it's something that's returning and at a good level and if none of your products are selling at a level that's lendable well you know you probably got bad product choices going on anyway uh, which like, is uh, another Mark question Andreessen. right yeah. yeah i mean mark Andreessen, his number one piece of advice right is raise prices and you know what we see is that businesses if anybody's thinking about starting an e-commerce business and they're thinking about how do you price, the standard rule is a double-double, right? So you double the price for, uh, you take whatever your cost is, you double it, that is your uh, wholesale price, and then you double it again and that's the customer price, right? And the reality is, is you want to have the ability to sell into wholesale and you want to have the ability to sell direct to e-commerce and you need the margin to be able to compete with other brands because they're, they have the margin and they're going to be spending on advertising. And if you don't have the margin to support and to defend your market share, you just, you just won't succeed, right? There's very few product businesses that succeed with no marketing dollars spent. I think Sriracha is one of the only ones. So, you know, I think, I think that that's an, that's a, a really important point is you need to get ahead of this and be ready. And when you look at that, the double double works on your cost price. So if you're able to get funding and go back to your factory and say, hey, I need this at 90 cents instead of at a dollar, right? That might open up a whole world of wholesale opportunities for you because the reduction in your cost is multiplicative because you've doubled the cost twice, you know? Yeah, it's a very important point. And I think, yes, that, that a lot of people trap themselves into the sort of Amazon universe because they're selling at maybe three times landed cost 3.5. Well, that's not very sustainable, as you say, as other brands come crowding into the Amazon place and the, the advertising gets more expensive. But even if you try to shift platforms, as soon as you go to retail, it's built in, as you say, you have to have double double. So you really have to have 4x markup. And yeah, part of your sort of systems thinking has got to be to look at the system as a whole. If we order this much inventory, can we get a 4x markup on Amazon or wherever marketplace? And after advertising, end up with 20 to 30% contribution margin, I guess, strictly speaking, or gross margin for most people call it. And then, of course, you look at the funding side and it's just a kind of, as you say, it's a math equation. Okay, borrow at 10%, sell at 30% return. Fantastic, could do that all day long. That's kind of basically Amazon's <laughs> exactly. game, right? They don't actually make profit technically, but they borrow at crazy, crazy low rates because the market totally trusts them. And if they borrow at 1% on a tranche of a billion dollars funding and they can get 2%, they've, they've doubled the money. And so that's right. an insane thing to, to compete with, right? So at least that's my understanding. I'm not, you know, <laughs> I'm not a Wall Street guy by any stretch, as you can tell. So look, what made you, we, we've talked about the fact that Kickfund is different and we'll dig into that in a second, but what made you even come up with a different solution? So there's equity or dilutive solutions of funding, there's debts. Obviously, there's a lot of people offering that. Why, why did you come up with something different again? Yeah, you know, we had this view. I was running a merchandising company myself, listeners do, which is buying from manufacturers, selling. I was selling to retailers, so not doing a lot of e-commerce at the time. And we just encountered this issue where we needed to fund our inventory 
And the best solutions that we could find on the market after shopping around were really, really expensive. It was like 5% discount per month for uh, purchase orders I had to deliver on in 90 days. And somewhere between you know my bank account earning less than 1% interest a year and my business getting charged 60% annualized, it was like, well, there seems to be a major, major inefficiency going on here, right? So we said, wouldn't it be nice if anybody could participate in this lucrative world of retail inventory funding, as opposed to just being locked up for these you know, factors and the larger organizations? And uh, you know that was kind of like part of part of the philosophy behind Kickfurler is, hey, how how can we democratize the funding of inventory? How can we open this up so that regular people can participate and really, you know, share in the profit and the gains from supporting you know, small and medium businesses, which, you know, call me, call me like nostalgic or whatever, like that's the lifeblood of America, right? Like 97% of Americans are employed by small and medium businesses. Absolutely. And also the stats, as I understand them, is that in terms of job gains, and particularly when you're climbing back out of a, you know, difficult times that you've had in UK and, and we'll have in, in US, I guess, as well, they, they are actually huge in terms of job creation, much bigger than the enterprise level ones, which I guess are probably you know, they keep the economy stable, but they've got a lot of people employed. Maybe some of them drop off in a pandemic, some some of them drop back on. But but the yeah, the small businesses will be creating the work right now and, and in the future. So and I totally share your passion for that sector. I mean, there's nothing more beautiful than a small business that's scaling really fast. The team's engaged, they're engaging more and more people or employing them. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. I, I'm with you on that. So tell me specifically about Kick Further then. You've obviously shown your, your chops instead of utter great understanding of, of the grasp of the material, by the way. Fantastic overview of the situation for us. So how does Kickfeather specifically work then? Yeah, so we have a marketplace of funders and we have we find businesses that need inventory funding. We qualify them, make sure that they fit within the parameters of who we want participating on the marketplace. And then, you know, we, we essentially structure their deals into what we call consignment opportunities. So, you know, a business comes to us, they say, I need a thousand units to, to buy from my factory. And, you know, I need to pay them by next Friday. So they'll, they'll give us the details. You know, we have a great sales team, super knowledgeable about all of these different supply chain, you know, little <laughs> levers and things that can change, you know. So we'll, we'll structure this consignment opportunity in partnership with a business that says essentially, hey, uh, community of Kickfurther, if you want to buy this inventory, you know, here's the cost price. The business expects it'll take, you know, four, five, six months to sell it. The business offers anywhere between one to two percent profit per month to our users for agreeing to fund the inventory. And then once that when that deal is successfully funded on our marketplace, we then aggregate all of our users' purchases together. We contact the factory and we say, hey, you know, Mr. Factory, we've got you know the funding you need. So why don't you start production of the inventory? The inventory is produced, it's shipped to the business owner according to the business owner's schedule. And then that inventory is placed on consignment with the business owner. And as they sell through it, Kickfurther is tied into whatever inventory management solution they're currently using. So we monitor the inventory. Hey, we funded 1,000 units. Now there's 900 units left. Please pay us for the inventory that's been sold. And once the business has successfully completed one deal on the Kickfurther platform, they can run multiple concurrent consignments for different SKUs at the same time. So for the first deal, we have to have one fully completed full cycle, and then the platform opens up a little bit. And what I would say is one of the 
coolest things about the Kick Further platform is you get to us early. We we are the best scalable solution for inventory funding. We've taken businesses from funding $25,000 of inventory to funding half a million dollar of inventory a quarter in a matter of 18 months. Um, so it scales really quickly. We meet the businesses where they are and we take them to where they need to be. That's really awesome. I love this, the intelligence of saying this this need and serving it so elegantly. I mean, it's, it's a great win-win, I guess, when it works. So yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense to me. And again, I'm taking notes, folks. If you want to get to 10kcollective.com, you, you'll see it on the, the blog. And if you want to sort of see my scribbled notes, obviously you can check out kickfurther.com for the, it goes to the horse's mouth as well. What are the criteria then for getting funding? Because this sounds like an amazing thing. Presumably you've got to have a, a certain degree of stability or proven sales for the business. Would you believe that it's as little as $150,000 of trailing 12 months revenue? So we can get in with these businesses super early, we look at stuff that other people aren't looking at. So we will ask for information about your supply chain. We'll ask for information about how you're planning on distributing the inventory. But we can get started with businesses with as little as $150,000 of trailing 12 months revenue. And probably the largest businesses we're working with are in the 25 to $30 million of trailing 12 months revenue range. That's pretty amazing. I mean, uh, that's, uh, by the way, that equates to well, about $12,000 a month in sales, isn't it? And that, that's kind of incredibly you know, low in, in the inventory range. So anything that's in any way that anyone lend or, or get involved in it, no, it's not lending, of course, but any kind of funding, you know, you're not going to get that any lower than that, I think. So that's pretty amazing. So tell us a bit about the, the costs and, and how does that work as well? I'll just say real quick, if you're south of Kickfurther, we recommend, we always direct people to Kiva Zip in America, which is interest-free finance. So that's one of those things that, you know, it, it costs you nothing. You have to do a little bit of crowdfunding and work yourself, but that's a good, let's say, starter okay. if you're not at 150K. And then, sorry, yeah. what was the question? <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. And that's a very generous of you to, 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 to recommend that as well. If, yeah, what's the costs and applications to the process, roughly speaking? Oh, well, that's the best part. Zero dollars, no cost to apply, right? So if you're a business owner, if we, our entire revenue structure is a 5% success funding fee. Okay. So we make a 5% success fee on a successful funding that includes users are able to use credit cards on our platform and we cover all of those costs for the business. So just a 5% success fee and it only gets charged if you're successfully funded, zero cost to apply, zero diligence cost. It's why wouldn't you find out whether you qualify for funding on Kickfurther? That's what I wonder. Yeah, I, I'm really quite jealous of the US entities that got access to this because it does sound pretty amazing. When you say 5% success fee, what, what is that a percentage of exactly? Of the successful funded amount. So if we are successful at funding $100,000 for a business, we would earn uh, 5% or $5,000 of the funding amount. Okay, and that would be paid probably up front. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, that's, okay. that, that is paid when the funding is successful. Okay. Yeah, which is extremely affordable, I would say, <laughs> compared to anything else. That's pretty amazing. And how, how does that compare with the other sites of inventory finance? You were saying that you you end up paying sixty percent a year, percent a year, and thinking, thinking that was insane. I mean, is it similar kind of costs, or is it cheaper? How does that sort of stack up? Yeah. So typically, what we see is we come in roughly at thirty. 30% less than what typical funding is for other business owners. So, you know, it's very variable depending on how much revenue you have, how much growth you have, how long you've been in business, right? So different businesses command different pricing in the marketplace. But what we typically see is that we typically come in at about 30% less than whatever the current options or opportunities for funding are. 
and that gets better over time as the as the business continues to participate on the kick further platform and builds up a track record of performance with our community of users right now we have our our best funding was about 0.8% per month so we had a business that funded for 10 months and they paid 8% consignment profit on that Wow. So it's, it's very, very efficient for the best. And of course, the, the irony is, of course, again, it's a bit like with bank loans, of course, a very different, I, I realize a different vehicle, but it, it's when you don't need it is when you get the best deal. So I guess if you've got a business mm-hmm. that's going very well and you want to kind of pour gasoline on the fire, as you would say in the States, then that sounds like the perfect time to get some incredible deals. But even for the, I, I'd say if you're doing 12,000 a month upwards, I mean, that's really a low barrier. So if you're based in the US right now, I'd be checking it out, which brings me really to the point where we, we just say, where should people go next? I mean, I know that we've got a redirect here, which we will send people via, which is amazingfba.com forward slash kick further. Easy to spell and, and say for once. Some, <laughs> some people's brand names are a bit tricky. So amazingfba.com forward slash kick further. And uh, what are people going to see when they go through there? What, what are the next steps for somebody who's interested in potentially doing this? Yeah, I mean, we'll take you straight into a qualification flow. You know, it will ask you for some basic qualification questions as long as we fit within the parameters. You know, we fund pretty much all inventory. We say we're inventory agnostic. So, you know, I I don't judge what inventory a business wants to produce, but we do currently stay away from regulated products. So, you know, alcohol, tobacco, firearms, we're not doing stuff like that. So, you know, it's like I said, free to apply. It takes maybe, 10 minutes to fill out those basic questions. And then one of our very intelligent salespeople will probably give you a call and take you through the rest of the process. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, alcohol, tobacco, firearms, pro- probably best avoided in e-commerce generally anyway. So I don't think that's going to be a barrier <laughs> to anybody. So yeah, that's that's amazing stuff. And I love the it's sort of imaginative leap that you took. I mean, most people see a problem and just bitch and moan. You saw a problem and you created an amazing kind of marketplace and solution. So very exciting for those based in the US to check it out. The rest of us in Europe will will look on jealously and look forward to you rolling <laughs> that out to Europe. In the meantime, just remains for me to say, Sean, many, many thanks for coming on the show and sharing your, your wisdom. Well, thank you so much. It was great to be here. Thanks so much for listening to the 10K Collective Podcast, part of the family of Amazing FBA Podcasts. Today's episode is sponsored by the new e-commerce podcast, The E-Commerce Leader. The podcast is hosted by yours truly and Jason Miles, multi-million dollar Shopify owner and Unimi's highest rated e-commerce instructor. If you're the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be, it's got your name on it. For free guides and mini courses on many topics, go to www.theecommerceleader.com.